Welcome to the Learning Shared Podcast. Hello, my name is Alan Wood and I'm your host. Thanks very much for listening. So Learning Shared is a space for anyone with an interest in supporting the needs of vulnerable learners in our society, including those with special educational needs and disabilities. We'll be hearing from and talking with a wide range of colleagues and stakeholders, including teachers, specialist practitioners, school leaders, researchers, as well as parents and carers. They'll be sharing creative, inspiring ideas, effective practice and things they've learned along their journey. With that in mind, please get in touch if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode or if you'd like to be involved in any way. You can visit us at www.learningshared.org or tweet us at underscore learning shared. The Learning Shared podcast is brought to you by Evidence for Learning and the EFL Send community. This is a growing community of teachers, practitioners, school leaders, researchers and academics that support children, young people and adults with special educational needs and disabilities, or indeed any form of additional learning needs. You can find out more about the EFL Send community and Evidence for Learning at www.evidenceforlearning.net. I hope you enjoy this episode. We're joined for this episode by Vegeta Patel and Professor Barry Carpenter. Vegeta is the principal at Swiss Cottage School Development and Research Centre in London. The school is a designated teaching school and Vegeta is a national leader of education. Welcome to you both and thank you for being here. Thank you. Now, um, I'm under strict doctor's orders to rest my poorly voice. So Barry's kindly offered to take a more active role in this conversation and um, the next few episodes of the podcast. And this obviously has the added benefit that the quality of questioning and the resulting conversation <laughs> is likely to be several orders of magnitude higher. So thank you for that, Barry. Um, but just to kick things off, Vegeta, we've worked together for a number of years now. And I have to say that each time I visit Swiss Cottage, I come away having learned something new or feeling as if aspects of my existing worldview around teaching and learning have been challenged, particularly in relation to supporting the needs of learners with complex or additional learning. Um, I think many schools and organisations aspire to be learning organisations and, and promote a learning culture. And I can say that at Swiss Cottage, I think this is something that hits you the moment you walk in through the entrance. And I know that's a view that's shared by many colleagues that have visited and spent any time at your school. So with that in mind, could we begin with a quick introduction and overview of the school and um, describe something of what life was like and learning was like and provision was like at Swiss Cottage prior to the coronavirus pandemic? Absolutely. Swiss Cottage School Development and Research Centre is in the London borough of Camden. Uh, we're at the heart of a very sort of um, exciting and vibrant end of London as well. And our school has 261 pupils. Uh, the youngest are aged from uh, two years old um, and we go up to the age of 19. So we have quite a diverse population. We are a special needs school, but uh, fundamentally for us, what we want to ensure is it's about uh, this complex population being integrated with the mainstream uh, group of peers. So Swiss Cottage is, uh, I think, similar to many special schools where it's about that network with mainstream schools so that the pupils and the families can be 
and feel a part of the wider community. Pupils at this school, um, we are often described as a complex needs special school. And really, as far as labels go, that one uh, remains one that can be interpreted and defined in a number of ways. Um, but it's fair to say we fall across the four broad areas of um, special needs. Um, our pupils have quite a diverse sort of profile as far as their special educational needs and disabilities. We have a number of pupils who actually don't even have labels wrapped around them. Uh, they've got such unique syndromes and uh, layered needs that they reflect. Uh, I'm really proud to quote Barry because we use his publication um, in all of our training modules. They reflect this new generation of special needs where they just simply do not fit neatly into categories. Um, as far as our pupils and our families, uh, we have a very diverse socioeconomic background. Uh, more than 80% of our pupils qualify for free school meals. Uh, we have a range of um, activities through our school charity because if we think about what the provision was prior to the pandemic, uh, Swiss Cottage School is not one of the highest funded schools uh, as far as per pupil placement funding, but it's a very ambitious school and it's very, very motivated and led by passion for what learning and education should be, not what it can be. Uh, so we work with our school charity and a number of organizations to ensure equitability of experience and opportunity for our pupils across five uh, curriculum pathways. Each of the five pathways are needs-based and uh, it's fair to say that our core principles and philosophies are about meeting each child at their point of learning. Uh, ensuring that engagement is led by their curiosities, interests, and motivations so that the learning opportunity in the short and long term is one that is going to promote their holistic development. The school is also a teaching school. We're really proud to have a very sort of strong history of growing future teachers and future leaders alongside working with a number of organizations on uh, research initiatives with groups of special schools and mainstream schools so that we're working together to explore and really co-construct what pedagogy, learning, curriculum, and provision can be and should be for children with additional needs in the 21st century. That's fantastic, Fajita, and I'd want to underscore what uh, Alan said earlier. It's always been my great pleasure whenever I visited Swiss Cottage to witness some very innovative practice, some groundbreaking practice. And I think the hallmark of a lot of your team is their ability to think. They don't um, go into the model of, well, we're experienced, we've been successful, we know it all. There's always this energy and thirst for new knowledge, new learning, whatever it takes to make things better for, for the children. And obviously, in the crisis situation we all now find ourselves in, um, I wonder if you could just share with us, before we go more deeply into some of the plans in the school, what have these last few weeks been like when um, the children have not been in school, when they've been at home and learning has been provided for them there, um, what's our journey been like? Um, what are some of the things you and your staff team have had to do to adjust uh, and support children and families? It's useful to start with uh, what I would describe as the solid foundation. So prior to the pandemic unfolding, uh, Swiss Cottage very much had a 
ecosystem that we describe as a professional learning communities model. So mm -hmm. that notion of the thinking organization, we have frameworks that support our curricular offer. And at the heart of that is respecting the professional judgment to promote teacher agency and practitioner agency, supporting them to really think about how they can construct what learning design can be around uh, a very sort of purpose and personalized curriculum offer for each mm -hmm. class. So when one would walk around Swiss Cottage prior to what it looks like at the moment, no two classrooms looked the same. Uh, but what was really exciting was you would see connectivity between classrooms and actually pupils with quite diverse needs working together across age ranges, across special needs, so that there's a real sense of understanding the entire school community. And it wasn't a case of a one-size-fits-all model. We very much always wanted to ensure that we were harnessing uh, what research may tell us, but most pivotally, um, what teachers saw as the questions that needed to be at the heart of what pedagogy could be and should be. Um, that's a very important point for us because it's been significant as far as how the last um, period with the lockdown has um, essentially been navigated by us as a school at the start, initially, uh, when the signs were there, and we're in London, so of course we were starting to feel the numbers grow um, at more pace than the rest of the country. Um, initially, whilst the school was still open, uh, we wanted to make sure that we were able to be some level of proactive before the inevitable was to come. So we worked carefully to send packs home to develop content on our school YouTube channel and through evidence for learning so that we were able to front load as much as possible to families. We were navigating that alongside a high number of staff absences. So. Um, the community spirit and that sense of trust across our community was quite a pivotal sort of ingredient in how that was able to be implemented, but also the communication loop between families and the class teacher. Mm. Um, we very crucially feel that the relationship that's held between the teacher, the teaching team with teaching assistants and the family is one that is heavily invested in. So there was a real open communication on where things were, what anxieties might be there, the questions that were arising, what to do to get ready for their child who has very complex profiles, but also could have siblings in mainstream schools. Um, up to the spring holidays, uh, we found ourselves eventually in closure due to the lockdown. And what we did was implement an informal virtual school. So um, at the start of the day, the teachers would work with families um, initially through email and then through the exchange of content through evidence for learning and our school YouTube channels. Um, mm -hmm. Lots of phone conversations. Um, and it opened up a fantastic set of questions on how we were going to balance um, routines, structures alongside what was uh, the pace at which the pandemic unfolded was starting to hit our own staff in a way that really we hadn't anticipated fully. So striking that balance between the needs of our families and the needs of our staff teams was equally being held by the school. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's fair to say that what we found really, really uh, sort of fundamental at the core of how we've been able to navigate this is a really strong sense of community. 
And when I read about the recovery curriculum, the fact that it's it's entirely harnessed on that concept of relationship, mm-hmm. it resonates so strongly for us, certainly as a school community and the school leadership and governors, because the investment in that up to now has allowed us to have very open and honest conversations. It's allowed a level of vulnerability that's allowed each class team to work with their family in a way that is really ensuring the needs of the family as a whole is considered, not just the child that has a place at Swiss, but the family themselves. Yes. So what we did when we um, had that sense of the, I would describe it as the buildup towards what the spring holidays or the Easter holidays. We decided that our focus over the holiday period would be about a home engagement plan. And the crucial part in that for us was engagement. Suddenly we found that um, the unexpected positive in this quite complex scenario that was unfolding was a real desire from the community and sectors across the country to try to give back what they could to support families that were trying to navigate quite quite an unusual circumstance. So we decided that over the spring holidays, what we would do is um, essentially pull together three forms of activities that would support families as they started to consider how they would define and design their own structures and routines because it was very clear what felt like it could have been short-term was going to be a much more long-term scenario. Yes. And in the recovery curriculum, it so beautifully describes the need for structures and routines to provide a level of balance so that we can really start to understand how to move forward with those complex topics of anxiety, loss, uh, this sense of uh, the routine being completely different to that norm. So over the holidays, um, we had... uh, developed content. We'd also created a range of uh, resources that had our built-in sort of accessibility with symbols and um, uh, recognized faces on recordings and videos, and then uh, created forms of uh, sort of schedules and routines that were actually utilizing these incredible organizations across the arts, um, the zoos, it, it was, it was really inspiring to see how many were opening their doors and making their content live and accessible because they very importantly linked to a lot of the motivators and interests that our children are captivated by. So it would give a positive harness, uh, to support the families. After the spring holidays, uh, we were very clear during that period that we wanted to be proactive in our responsiveness. We knew that there would be a number of variables. We knew that the picture would unfold and change daily. And actually what we were learning internationally was telling us that we needed to ensure the core of our school culture, which is built on asking those questions, looking for the evidence base and trying to understand what we could be a part of shaping was very much going to be constructed with our families. So at the start of our summer term, uh, we decided to move one of our training days to the first day. And we essentially had our first um, virtual training day across a staff of 200. And we came together to really think about what does learning design look like? What can we do to help our families during this very 
very turbulent period Mm -hmm. at a time where our staff and our families are equally navigating that topic of loss, that topic of bereavement, um, those emotions that will sit around mental health and mental wealth as well. And we settled on ensuring that we were going to provide what had worked so far and then add in some more components, the most pivotal being live, interactive teaching and learning um, that would bring groups of pupils together through a very protected um, form of technology. And then the role of us uh, introducing a weekly timetable that was going to be quite defined around structures and routines but one that would have flexibility so that the family themselves could communicate with the teacher on what they could shape in that timetable because they needed ownership on how they were going to balance this across the family dynamic, the reality that they were working from home, uh, the reality that some families had lost their jobs, and the reality that there were other siblings. This, This was a lot to really put the constructs in for. But what we felt was if we could provide the right structures, and it is absolutely um, at the heart of what's sitting in the recovery curriculum, if we can somehow redesign what that experience of walking through the school gates was, but really it was now happening either through a computer or through the virtual timetable that had been posted home with a set of resources. We were helping the families create that atmosphere and that sense of community within their own homes. And um, we are still learning lessons. The beauty for us is that we've got a very active set of parents, a wonderful parent council, who very much ask if they can be a part of reviewing what it looks like and trying to learn what works well, what the next steps are. Because we do know the virtual school is likely to be uh, a short and long-term reality as we start to transition back to school as well. Wow, there's, there's so much within that, Vegeta, And I, I just want to tease out one or two more threads because I think you've really hit on what was the motivator for me in, in conceptualizing the recovery curriculum, which is inevitably through all of this, our children will have experienced loss, anxiety, trauma, grief. Um, are you seeing those trends powerfully now, do you think, in your children and young people? We, as a school community, had a very um, challenging start to this academic year. I think because of the profile of our pupils, um, bereavement is a reality. Very sad, very unfortunate, but reflects the complex needs across the school. And in this academic year, we had uh, started the academic year with the loss of two pupils and then the loss of, that was very unexpected, of a staff member. So... What we had that we could hold on to was an open conversation with staff and with families on the components that really do exist around the concept of bereavement, around that loss. And for a family, even if that was to do with a neighbor, a friend, someone in the local community, or a family member themselves, there was enough of an open conversation that that was being shared very very confidently and with trust with the class teacher, knowing that actually this very fragile topic was one that they could lean on the school community with. Um, Our staff themselves have been able to really explore that with one another um, because it's very rare for a family to not be affected 
Um, And even through conversation, it may not be directly with their immediate sort of circle of influence, but as they are getting to know their local community more through the way that this pandemic has made our communities uh, tighter, that conversation that's opening up about where somebody else may have experienced with loss can't help but come back into the home environment. The children do pick up what, you know, family members are discussing. And as you so, you know, clearly outline in the, in the sort of uh, think piece that you've shared as well, it's those subtle conversations that can sometimes Mm -hmm. have quite a significant influence on children and young people with additional needs. Yes. Yes, Uh, absolutely. And uh, as you point out, um, the recovery curriculum is really a, a construct. Um, and I was quite deliberate in choosing that word, construct being part of construction. So we're now getting into debates, are we not, around children returning to school, how we will continue their education, which age groups might uh, come back into school premises. Um, I, I wonder how you'll begin to think as a staff team about the, the process of, of recovery for your children, because they will have been through, again, what you've just powerfully articulated, that loss, that grief, that anxiety, all of which are traumas. Um, And we now need to use the positives of learning as a therapeutic process. Absolutely. And it speaks to uh, the other piece of the puzzle that I, I all practitioners would agree in saying, uh, Barry, you've been at the heart of for us, which is um, just that real deep 360 around the concept of engagement. Mm. And for us, we find ourselves at the heart of a constant conversation around, are we talking about curriculum coverage or are we talking about really meaningful engagement? And actually, sometimes when we think about curriculum uh, and we've got a needs-based curriculum, it's very holistic because our pupils interact really with their sense of self and identity, um, are, we've got quite solid foundations on how to really give teachers the space, the agency and the autonomy to meet their, their class at where they are at the moment, what those realities are and how to shape the next steps. For us, we've found that really considering the engagement in that process, the reality is that our school will be a combination of on-site and virtual. How do we give a a deep learning experience for those who are still shielding and accessing school through the virtual sort of realities? Um, And how do we now start to move ourselves forward and evolve in what we've done? Because actually it's been quite a small space of time But many of our lessons that are learned have also posed dilemmas to us on ensuring we're not gravitating too heavily on technology, but actually the technology is the medium for which the child can engage through a screen with the staff that they recognize. And if we can reduce some of the curriculum areas, but always remain anchored in that trauma-induced practice, is that going to be a way for us to support the engagement with the children? Because that relationship and that sense of where they are and um, actually what the influence has been on this period is something that we're going to explore and discover over a number of months. 
It's not yes. one that we'll yes. be able to unpack immediately the moment yes. they've returned. Yes. Um, in your own podcast, you mentioned the reality that when they do come back, we need to be prepared for what moving from one adjusted set of structures, which was, you know, the home environment changed in yes. its purpose. Yes. And now they're coming back to school, but suddenly school itself as an infrastructure is changing. Um, why can't I hold the hands of uh, my yes. friends in order to go and engage in what I see as play-based learning? This is very different. Um, and stepping into what those experiences will be for the children in order to shape how we're going to bridge those gaps and those barriers. It's a very exciting time for teachers to really get into that reflection on pedagogy and engagement together because the dilemmas are real and they're not just special, special school specific. I think it's a reality in mainstream yes. that will really need to be tackled and yes. that, that joint collaboration and reflection on what this means and how this is potentially moving our education system forward is a very exciting um, sort of aspect that I'm curious to watch develop and unfold. Yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more because we've, we've been through um, as a community, a word you've used a lot, we've been through um, a public health emergency, which we know is going to lead to some form of financial catastrophe. And we've been through as a community a, a mass trauma. Um, and I think we, we need to make sure when our children return that we have in place that, obviously, that process of a recovery curriculum, but that's actually aiming at healing the child. And sometimes we don't, we won't know exactly what it is we're healing. And maybe one of the, the first things we need to do might be uh, holding a formal act of, of remembrance as a community. I was talking to a, a mainstream school this morning, which is about to create a museum of hope and humanity, which each child will contribute to so that they can tell their story and, and build the narrative around the experience of, of living through, hopefully living through, the uh, coronavirus. I wonder what you think some of your first steps will be for your children the day they enter. As you said, that changed school, uh, Swiss Cottage won't be exactly as it was on the day they left. And that's so, it's so powerful to think of that concept of that Hope Museum and that actually something at the heart of a mainstream school is very values-led and yes. very much uh, really putting front and center what isn't going to be a classic curriculum subject, but probably the most empowering for the children in their reflection around uh, what the impact has been for them. I, I can't underestimate what that will do for the staff as well. It'll yes. be very powerful. Yes. Um, we are very mindful of really, we, we think of it as pilots. So testing and learning um, what their return is. We can make endless plans. And what we love about our population is they tell us what works and they tell us what will not work. <laughs> and what's really important, and we've said this many times um, as a leadership team and even with our teachers, is we want to give them the space to actually influence the plan. We know that um, we've got to take a number of aspects into account. And this is a population that um, cannot socially distance. They, they mm. will not um, be able to avoid hand-to-hand -hand contact in order to navigate the school building, learning opportunities. 
And what we want to do is be very mindful that as we think about their return, we're taking each of the components individually so that they're able to shape an aspect, um, really start to adapt to what the new norm, as it's described, might be in that area, and then introduce the next piece of the puzzle that we're trying to understand doing this slowly so that actually what we're able to do is build the confidence of the pupils, of the staff, um, and of our sense as a community together. Because when there are 260 pupils yes. across a building that has four stories, um, there's so many variables that might need to be navigated. But actually, if we bring that back to the heart of what our core principles are, we know that we do not want to... Uh, sort of compound dependency yes. for our pupils. We yes. really want them to always be able to tell us that that small celebrated piece of success is actually quite significant, might look small to another, but for us, it's a pivotal one. And so how we can also share those successes from our bubble of a school building back to the home environment so that the family can think about how they can sort of start to integrate that um, behavior or engagement that the child has described to us into the home environment that itself has shifted for them also. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, we talked in the think piece about three phases of um, recovery, the, the holistic, the something that everyone will need the, the personalized, and I know you have a very needs-led curriculum, so that will work very well for you. But we're thinking, too, of deeper recovery. Those children, many of whom are naturally in a population like yours, will have unspoken needs, will not be able to articulate what they may have experienced at a, quite a sensory level, the, the power of the loss. Um, any thoughts around how that might be dealt with in, in your school population, Vegeta? Absolutely. And I think it's one where actually all special schools and mainstream, I don't think it's just special school specific, but schools that emphasize the relationship between the teacher, the teaching assistants, the pupils and the families, we've got a very solid foundation to be able to really think about what it looked like prior to lockdown and actually, what are those key components that we want to keep continuous so that where the child is confident in expressing themselves or showing their needs and their wants through particular mediums are able to really do that through very structured learning opportunities that are exploring quite complex and sophisticated topics. Um, those relationships that sit at the heart of what is essentially quite meaningful engagement. Um, the authenticity of that relationship for us is what we feel puts us in quite a strong position to also say, we're exploring these questions, but we know that we're going to learn much more than that because actually through their trust and confidence with known members of staff, um, we may enter the learning opportunity with one focus and we know that two or three others will surface through the process. So actually how we have agility in how the teachers and the teaching teams are able to then maximize on that opportunity to be able to take the next step of learning and have a very 
very meaningful formative assessment process so that they're redesigning that medium-term curriculum plan. Actually, the first few weeks will probably be a fantastic baseline process where they are really able to um, think about what the child is doing with that engagement process, but also what is repetitively coming up on their behalf. Because... Their observation and their view of the world is really phenomenal. And what we may see as one kind of core priority, something else from their viewpoint uh, could have actually become the 360 for them because of the way the home environment is constructed. Potentially their siblings uh, who have now been far more influential on their Uh, classic school day, uh, the role of their siblings, what might be the viewpoint from a window. There's so many different factors for us to take into account. Um, What we've done up to now is really tried to ensure that the formative assessment process during our virtual school is one that teachers and families are discussing together. So we've had a series of questions that um, support the activities across the weekly timetable And it allows the family to speak to us about exploration, realization, anticipation, persistence, you know, initiation. Yes. Yes. In a way that means that we're not starting from a blank canvas. Actually, we're using the learning from this period through the eyes of the parents um, to really help us come into this transition with a level of information that lets us bridge what that sense of progress or questions Um, from the school day at home, um, how that could shape what the classroom's uh, new design will be. Absolutely. Because we do recognize that when we return to school, actually there there will be a magnitude of uh, sort of impact of us just ensuring we have one or two planning days where the teachers can come back to the classroom environment, think about what they've pulled together from all of that feedback with the families and those discussions to really change the design of their classrooms and adapt it to what is going to suit the child as they transition back. Yes. Yes. Uh, there's so much content in what you've, you've just said. It, it, it's, there's one word that I, I focus on there. At one point, you just described the agility of the, the, the teaching processes. Um, and I want to use that to, to just trigger us into something my son, my co-author of of this paper, Matthew, speaks of, which is to be nimble in leadership. That, again, you referenced earlier about the evidence-based. Teaching is an evidence-based profession, and that's normally how we operate, Vegeta. But at times, we're having to look at trends and make best judgments on what is not secure evidence. And that's so, is it not, throughout the pandemic? It's happening every day. In, in the health field uh, mm. because they don't have a solid evidence base. But going back to that idea of the, of the, the, the nimble, the speed of the, the leadership decision-making process, one of the things we've tried to tease out in the think piece is about compassionate leadership. How does that roll out in your thinking? Mm. It resonated so strong. We're with a population where we've really had to go deep into our own reflections as a community on how we're promoting uh, the acceptor, acceptance instead of the tolerance of our pupils, 
the way that we're challenging marginalization of this population in our local community, the wider community, sometimes the invisible uh, unknown compounded yes. marginalization as well. And so for us, that concept of compassionate leadership that you describe is one that's quite pivotal because it's got an empathetic anchor to it. We're not looking for sympathy. We're, we're not looking no. for no. Um, something that is going to compromise what is the integrity and the respect that sits at the heart of compassion, which is very human, values-led, one that is emotionally intelligent in its approach, and one that is really going to ensure that whilst we are navigating this very complex scenario, we're still holding on to the ambitions and the aspirational potential of a population that otherwise could feel quite a compounded impact from the lockdown itself. Um, so that compassionate leadership, it, there's such texture to what that is really going to mean for us as a school, because every teacher is the leader of their classroom. They're demonstrating it day by day as they support the families, not just on the weekly timetable, but in that trust and that communication about the 360 of what this means right mm -hmm. now. And they're demonstrating that compassionate leadership in a way that really is, um, I hope it's going to be quite influential to mm. that respect for the professional discussions and that agency for teachers and practitioners, which is very much going to have to start to shift towards that big 360 around well-being, work-life yes. balance, um, yes. recognizing that all of our practitioners are carrying their home environments as well, but the compassion in them is very much driving their leadership styles, their leadership behaviors, as they try to support um, not just families, but each other as collaborative networks as well. Um, it's a pivotal piece inside of your podcast and in the, in the think piece. And now is a fantastic time for actually the entire sector to really think about brave, authentic, compassionate leadership as what is going to shape how we actually design the 21st century school system and classroom because we're all working with a blank sheet of paper yes. and um, there's such potential on having the values uh, really be at the heart of what that, that co-definition will be. Yes. And I think in what you've said there, um, and particularly that last point about co-definition, in one of the levers, um, which Matthew particularly put together he talks about transparent curriculum, which is meant very much to be about the co-construction of the curriculum for and with the student, the child, as a learner. Mm -hmm. And I know that's very much in the spirit of how Swiss Cottage operates anyway, but I loved the fact you talked just about the compassionate leadership uh, and, and you graciously acknowledged parents' compassionate mm -hmm. leadership during this time. I think there is going to have to be a bridging, is there not, Vegeta, when the parents hand their child back to us. Um, we mustn't just say, oh, thanks very much and dismiss the fact that they have been the teacher for mm. the last three months or more. Um, how, we need to value and treasure what they have done during that time. Um, and maybe it gives us a basis for a better um, co-construction of future working relationships with our families. Mm, absolutely. One that's 
going to be much more authentic in its purpose. So um, we had a meeting with our parent council last week. They're, they're, yes. uh, we ha- our parents are fantastic across the school, the parents and carers. And there's this council so that um, there's one parent from each class. They come together. And, um, you know, much of it was actually us very openly telling them the sea and avalanche of guidelines that have come to us. We're, we're trying to make sense of this. This is what we are proposing. This is what we're thinking about. But we really need to come back to you. And in that conversation, it, it's so empowering to hear parents say, how do we help with this? So why don't we start to, re- you know, review and see what's working well with the virtual school and what could work better? Let's give you something back. And everyone is working so, so collaboratively, but with no hierarchy. There is no top-down model to this because at the heart of this is a phenomenal group of pupils and we all mutually want the best for them. Yes. There is integrity to that. It's it's not a tokenistic uh, sort of experience that's taking place or a tokenistic sort of meeting. Actually, that authenticity of the compassion is one that is is so fundamental. And um, that open communication, not all conversations are straightforward. And actually being able to take a step back and think, what could have affected this family? Um, This could happen over the next couple of years. We don't know the full sort of impact of COVID yet. Yes. And actually our mindfulness as professionals to really give that space to each yes. family, because yes. um, at some point, you know, th- there's going to be ups and downs. But yes. the reason behind it is something that we can't predict or presume. Yes. Mm. Yes. I, I loved, again, your phrase there, Vegeta, the authenticity of compassion. Um, absolutely spot on. And, and the heart of compassion is kindness. And the partner of kindness is going to be um, our service, our service to each other Mm. uh, as we reconstruct what education will look like for our children and and valuing each other's contribution. I wonder by way of of, of bringing this um, podcast discussion, which I've enjoyed enormously, um, to, to, to a close, what would some of your final thoughts be, whether they be challenges or whether they just be insights that you would want to share with our listeners? I was certainly um, very struck by, I read an article about how uh, adults with disabilities through the lockdown were actually feeling more accessibility into Mm -hmm. society, into uh, just communities because suddenly a lot of those physical barriers were no longer what they were having to navigate. And I'm just so curious about what that's going to mean for some of the invisible additional needs that pupils at our school, but also in mainstream, um, are certainly have reflected in their profiles, because it, it gave me a real sort of ray of hope that we can actually learn lessons through something that has such complex uh, pandemic connotations. Actually, um, to see the response from organizations on wanting to open their doors virtually to everybody um, and the lessons that have been learned on just what accessibility can be, uh, I think is absolutely remarkable. I'm 
very cautious, and I think our, as, a, as a community we are, what we don't want is the complexity of post-lockdown to compound the marginalization. So um, I think there's great distance in the construct of the recovery curriculum to actually be understood in a number of schools, not just special schools, has to do with how we avoid that invisible cliff edge when they finish education and transfer into adulthood and those pathways into training and employment and supported living. And actually, it's probably more fundamental now than before for that lens to really be amplified because it's got it's got such scope of being diluted and really we've got a chance to get it right whilst there's an unwritten plan around it yes um i do hope that it's one that really uh communities maximize on because it's one where now we're learning that actually it doesn't have to be educators pushing for it with families there's such a potential of a values-led priority to really make communities more uh, connected, but for the whole, really to get that invisible population at the heart of that planning. Yeah. That's, that's really resonated with me in a way that I didn't expect uh, in this podcast. But um, this coronavirus has been a great leveler, hasn't it? Um, it's lowered a lot of boundaries. And you've talked a lot about community, your school community, but you've just now ended with thinking about the wider community. And, and I, I'll just share back with you. Um, my daughter, Katie, as you know, has lives in her own house, but with two friends. Um, when it was VE Day, of course, if you were going to celebrate that at a safe and uh, social distance, you could only do so with your intimate community. Mm. And so Katie and her two housemates put their chairs on their front drive, as did all of the neighbours, and what happened was there was a great sharing that the, the uh, Katie and her friends had made biscuits for each household and like put them at the end of other people's drives. And then others brought food over to them and, and drinks were shared. And um, apparently conversations were had that even though she'd lived next to some neighbors who'd always said hi and been broadly friendly, there'd been no deep conversation. They were in conversations for long periods of time. I, I think, because maybe we are all reflecting on our own humanity, mm-hmm. we're finding the common bonds and that in itself will nourish our inner well-being and will lead in all of us to a process of recovery. Vegeta, I want to thank you so much for your articulate contribution in this podcast. The, the deep and rich insights you've shared, I wish you and Swiss Cottage much success in the road to recovery. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for listening. You can find more information about the recovery curriculum at www.recoverycurriculum.org. There's links to resources, reference materials, as well as Uh, video slide decks. Barry Carpenter's webpage is www.barrycarpentereducation.com and the homepage for the podcast is www.learningshared.org. You can email us at learningshared at theteachcloud.net 
or tweet us at underscore learning shared. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and please do get in touch with feedback if you'd like to either suggest a topic for a future episode or if you'd like to be involved in any way. Finally, you're welcome to join the conversation via one of our online communities of practice. We've got groups on Facebook and LinkedIn and details are on the Recovery Curriculum and Learning Shared web pages. You can search for Recovery Curriculum as a group inside Facebook. So for now, thanks again for listening. Stay safe and be well.